Mysteries. You're listening to a clip of Father's Lament by Yuka Rain. This Columbus singer-songwriter who also performs under the name Shiloh Hawkins is our featured Ohio musical artist tonight. So hang on with us to the end of the podcast. We'll tell you all about her and let you listen to that entire song. Right now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. Let's dig up a new Ohio mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our award-winning journalist, Paula Schleiss, who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Acker Beacon Journal. Hi, everybody. So, I hear you have another gangster mystery for us tonight. I sure do. Suggested by a couple of our listeners. Let's see if you can guess, Steve. After John Dillinger was killed by lawmen in 1934, the FBI moved another bank robber to the top of their list and pronounced him public enemy number one. Who was it? Well, if it's another Ohio story, I'm going to have to say it's Pretty Boy Floyd. Aw, I knew you knew your gangsters. Yeah, he was killed by police in East Liverpool, right? Yeah, right, right. But what you might not know is law enforcement officers who were there on that memorable day don't remember it the same way. The FBI always contended he was killed in a firefight, but the East Liverpool cop who is credited with being the first to shoot Floyd and send him to the ground insisted he was only wounded and that an FBI boss ordered him executed where he lay. Whoa, that really throws a wrench in the historical record, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. And it qualifies this as an Ohio mystery. So let me tell you about Pretty Boy Floyd, a violent killer who turned into one of the Great Depression's most glorified outlaws. And since a significant part of Floyd's career took place in Ohio, with big gun battles in Sylvania, Bowling Green, Akron, and East Liverpool, we're going to take our time and turn this into a two-parter so that we can share all the rich detail that we could find of those local events. Now I'm excited. Let's do this. Before he became Pretty Boy, he was simply Charles Arthur Floyd, born in Georgia in 1904, then raised in the hills near the small farming community of Aikens, Oklahoma. Floyd was a popular youngster, a standout athlete in his high school, 
and the ladies thought him catnip. He married his high school sweetheart, Ruby Hardgraves, when he was still a teen. But Floyd broke bad, with tough times helping to turn him into a criminal. He started with petty theft, but when he robbed a $12,000 payroll off a truck headed for Kroger's Grocery Store in St. Louis, Missouri, he went to prison. He served four years before being paroled, and he didn't like prison one bit. He vowed he'd never go back, and while he would spend many a day in a local jail cell, he made good on his promise. He never saw the inside of a penitentiary again. Floyd's wife, Ruby, gave birth to his only child while he was behind bars. The boy's name was Charles, though they called him Jack. The couple was divorced before Floyd ended his one and only prison term, but they remained in touch the rest of Floyd's life. Now, I've heard many different versions of how he earned the nickname Pretty Boy. One says men working the oil fields in Oklahoma called him that because he would show up and walk the fields dressed in a white button-up dress shirt and pressed slacks. Another story said the name stuck when a payroll master he robbed described Floyd as a pretty boy with apple cheeks. Whatever the case... Floyd despised his nickname, and he wasn't called that by anyone in his circle. They called him Chalk, a reference to his fondness for homemade Choctaw brew. But you don't get to pick your own nickname, and in the public, it was the name Pretty Boy that would stick. When Floyd was released from prison, the country was beginning its Great Depression, with unemployment so high, and Oklahoma beginning its infamous Dust Bowl years, Floyd had little incentive to change his ways. He hooked up with the underworld in Kansas City, then moved to the East Liverpool area of Ohio when he became the hired gun for bootleggers along the Ohio River. Then he moved on to armed bank robbery. His first one was February the 5th, 1930, when he sets his sights on Sylvania, Ohio. It was home to about 2,000 people and a dozen miles from the Lucas County capital of Toledo. It was the day after Pretty Boy's 26th birthday. And he started his morning with a shave and a haircut at Pops, a barbershop owned by Franklin Green on Main Street. Then, he and two of his accomplices went across the street to the Farmers and Merchants Bank, while their fourth accomplice took a seat behind their getaway car, a Studebaker. The bank was at the corner of Main and Monroe Streets, and according to a 2017 story I found, a key bank is there now, but the building is original. It was around noon when the freshly groomed pretty boy entered the bank carrying a sawed-off shotgun. His accomplices carried revolvers in each hand. They were well-dressed and didn't bother to wear masks. Two stood at the door to stop anyone from leaving, while Floyd moved quickly to the teller, shouting, Stick em up! Stick em up! We're not fooling! When the Oklahoma outlaws entered the bank, 
The head cashier, John Ifland, saw what was coming and instinctively slammed the safe shut and turned the wheel to activate the time lock. There was no hope for getting the safe open at that point. The time lock prevented the vault from opening again for five hours. So the tens of thousands of dollars inside were untouchable. In a fit of rage at losing access to the bulk of the bank's money, Pretty Boy pistol-whipped the cashier, and when he fell to the ground, kicked him for good measure. The bandits collected money from the teller's drawers, less than $2,000 in all, and at one point marched another teller, Glenn Chandler, to the vault and demanded he try and open it. But he repeated what the robbers had already been told. That vault was not opening again until 5 p.m. Across the street, an employee at a gas station became suspicious about what he was seeing through the bank's large plate glass windows. There were employees and patrons lined up against the wall with their arms raised. The employee called out to Ed Howard, who owned the filling station, but was also vice president at the bank. And Howard dashed to the telephone, where he reached an operator who activated the village's ear-splitting fire siren, which was mounted directly across the street from the bank. The jig was up. The bandits stopped what they were doing and ran from the bank. They hopped into their waiting getaway car and started to speed away. Back at the filling station, Ed Howard had already armed himself with a loaded shotgun, and he fired at the car, but missed, hitting a nearby parked car instead. Fire Chief Ralph Van Glan had just arrived on the scene in the village fire truck. And Sylvania's assistant fire chief, Harry Rees, had heard the commotion, ran out of his job at the nearby Cooper Tire Company, grabbed Howard's shotgun from his outstretched hands, and jumped into the passenger seat of the fire truck. The two men trailed the gang down Monroe Street to Quarry Road, then over to Sylvania Avenue, at one point relieving the truck of 500 feet of hose to lighten the load and increase their speed. But the fire truck couldn't keep up. The Studebaker disappeared in traffic that was headed for Toledo. The gas station attendant, who had alerted Howard to the bank robbery, managed to get the Studebaker's license plate number, and an all-points bulletin was issued for the car and the bandits. Back at the bank, employees congratulated each other on surviving the bank's first armed robbery, and they called Clerk Ifland a hero. Then they all stood around waiting for 5 p.m. to come, so they could open the safe and prove most of the bank's assets were still in place. Well, after fleeing Sylvania, Floyd and his gang ended up in Akron, Ohio, 150 miles away, where they were attempting to lay low. All the gang members were using aliases. Pretty Boy was calling himself Frank Mitchell, and it was under that name he rented a house on Lodi Street, in the city's Goodyear Heights neighborhood. The landlord, Bill Gannon, owned a bar on Kenmore Boulevard, an area with a robust after-hours economy of alcohol, gambling, and prostitution. 
and Floyd and his partners hung out there every night, making friends and impressing locals with their fun nature and free-spending habits. Floyd wasn't a household name at this point, and Gannon had no reason to suspect that the Frank Mitchell who had rented his house was a wanted bank robber. And he rather liked his new tenant, especially when Mitchell paid a fine to get Gannon's wife out of jail. But Gannon would soon find out who he was harboring because a minor traffic accident was going to be the undoing of the gang's brief residency in Akron. It was the early morning hours of March the 8th, 1930. Two of Pretty Boy's partners were out for a night on the town when they got into a fender bender on Kenmore Boulevard with another car. It drew the attention of police, and Akron officer Harlan Maines responded to the scene just after 1 a.m. But apparently, gang member Burt Walker was so concerned that their Akron hideout was about to be discovered, he immediately opened fire, hitting Officer Maines in the stomach. The patrolman was whisked off to the hospital, and a gang member with Walker was taken into custody, but Walker himself evaded immediate capture. Dozens of cops descended on Kenmore Boulevard looking for him, and they followed a trail of tips that led to the Lodi Street hangout. Police charged into the yellow two-story house and found Walker lying in an upstairs bed, bleeding from bullet wounds in both arms. And, hiding under the bed, pretty boy Floyd, who, of course, they were only going to know as Frank Mitchell. Officers also collected a veritable armory of weapons from throughout the house, and that Studebaker, with a section of glass that had been removed from the rear window in order to fit the muzzle of a gun. Floyd and Walker were taken to Officer Maine's bedside, where the mortally wounded officer identified Walker as his assailant. Hours later, the officer died. Floyd may have been absolved of Maine's murder, but after finding that cache of weapons and rigged-up getaway car, police were hardly going to let the men go. Walker's three mates were kept in jail with him and charged with harboring a fugitive. After the incident made the news and reached Toledo, Lucas County authorities realized two of the men in the Akron jail matched the description of the hooligans that they were searching for in that Sylvania bank robbery. And so they sent a couple of officers over to Akron, and Akron handed over pretty boy and accomplice Nathan King to face trial in Lucas County. Walker was staying behind in Summit County, though. He needed to answer for the killing of Officer Maines. For that, a jury found him guilty, and in November, he was executed in the electric chair. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, 
to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II. Each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. In Toledo, two weeks after Walker's execution, Pretty Boy Floyd, using his Mitchell alias still, and Nathan King pled guilty to the Sylvania robbery and were sentenced to 12 years at the Ohio State Penitentiary. But Floyd had famously vowed he'd die before going back to the pen, and he meant it. As his jailers were transporting him by train, Floyd asked to use the lavatory. He and King were handcuffed to each other, so in they both went. But Floyd had managed to smuggle a handcuff key, some believe under his tongue, and used it to separate himself from his companion. Then he broke a window on the moving train and jumped into the dark rural Ohio countryside near Kenton less than 10 miles from the cell that was to be his home for the next dozen years. King, the handcuff dangling from his wrist, tried to follow his partner, but he was caught with one leg out the window. Now on the lam, Floyd returned to Kansas City and continued his violent ways. Somewhere along the way, he had picked up a new accomplice, Billy the Killer Miller from Ironton, Ohio, Billy had earned his nickname when, at the age of 19, he slew his own brother in a fight over a woman. The jury let him off the hook for that, and he went on to become an experienced bank robber on his own before hooking up with Floyd. The two men bonded and carried off a string of robberies together. They also became mutual suspects in the deaths of a pair of Kansas City rum-running brothers named Wallace and William Ash. The Ashes were the sons of a woman who ran a den full of all kinds of vices that Floyd and Miller patronized. It was there that Floyd and Miller became infatuated with the estranged wives of the Ash brothers, a pair of sisters named Beulah and Rose Baird. Allegedly, Beulah and Rose lured their husbands into a trap. The men were found dead in a burning car on March the 25th, 1931. And since Beulah and Rose were now traveling with Floyd and Miller on their crime spree, you can imagine why people jumped to conclusions. Now, if you thought Pretty Boy's face on wanted posters would keep him out of Ohio for a while, you'd be wrong. The following year, in April, just a few months after his great train escape, the two men and their malls were in Lucas County again, where they made a brief stop in White House and relieved the White House Bank of about $1,500. 
Then it was off to Bowling Green in Wood County, where the two couples planned to live it up for a while and have a good time. They really stood out in the college town, dressed like mobsters, driving a big sedan, and flashing money all over the place. When one storekeeper saw them pull some cash from a, an apparent bank bag, they called police. Chief Carl Gallagher had already heard about these unusual visitors, and he'd been keeping them under observation for a couple of days. On April the 16th, 1932, Chief Gallagher decided it was time to act. Floyd, Miller, Beulah, and Rose were in Almond's clothing store on Main Street, getting the girls a couple of new dresses for a special night out. When they left the store, Chief Gallagher and his 29-year-old patrolman, Ralph Kastner, followed them until no civilians were around, then confronted them while they sat in a parked car on Prospect Street. Floyd and Miller didn't wait to be questioned. They pulled their guns. When the smoke cleared, Killer Miller was dead. Floyd's girlfriend, Beulah, took a ricocheted bullet to the head, but survived. And Officer Kastner was mortally injured. Floyd, the only one who remained in the car during the battle, hit the gas and managed to escape again. Across the street from where this gunfight happened, Officer Kastner's father was working at a lumberyard when he saw his son had been hit. He hurried to his side while they waited for the ambulance to arrive. Seven days later, Officer Kastner died of those two bullets to his gut, making him the second Ohio lawman to be killed by Floyd's gang. Kastner remains the only Bowling Green officer to ever be killed in the line of duty in that city. After the Bowling Green shootout, reporters talked to the mother of those Ash brothers that Floyd and Miller had been accused of killing. When they told her about how Floyd had killed an officer, she asked them, did they get Pretty Boy? It was the first time the media had heard that nickname. And it was from that account on, Floyd was always referred to in the media by the nickname he hated. Floyd went west again, racking up two more murder charges, one for a special agent in Kansas City, another for a deputy in Oklahoma. In between his exploits, Floyd often took refuge in Oklahoma, where people went to lengths to shield and shelter him. The folks around Cooks and Hills called him Robin Hood and spread tales of how, while robbing banks, Floyd would take the time to destroy mortgage documents. That reportedly somehow caused enough confusion that it freed homeowners, farmers, and business owners from their debts. Historians think that might just be folklore. There was no real evidence that it happened. But that's an example of the kinds of rumors that contributed to Floyd gaining some fans. After all, it was the Depression, and numerous foreclosures had made banks the enemy of everyone. And in Oklahoma, where the Dust Bowl years kicked in and families were literally starving, Floyd became a living folk hero. How many bank robberies can be attributed to him? 
We just don't know. We do know that he robbed so many banks in his home state of Oklahoma that bank insurance rates doubled. Historians think maybe about 30 of those robberies can be attributed to Floyd, but we can't be sure because other bank robbers started dressing like him to confuse lawmen. And Floyd was being fingered for activities he couldn't have been near. As a matter of fact, a deadly shootout that left four lawmen dead, a massacre that caused the FBI to name Floyd their public enemy number one and spare no expense in pursuing him to his death, might not even have involved Pretty Boy at all. Next, on part two of the mystery of Pretty Boy Floyd's death, we'll cover the final year of his life and the extraordinary hunt in Northeast Ohio to catch the killer. Now, before we move on, Paula, can you tell us a little more about the two officers who died in the episode? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, Officer Harlan Maines, he was the one that was killed during that Akron traffic stop by Floyd's gangmate, Burt Walker, in 1930. He was 32 years old and unmarried. He was a native of Ashland, and he left behind his parents, Noble and Cecilia, and three siblings. Harland was also a World War I vet, and I found out that he had fought on the front in France. Now, at his funeral, officers, veterans, and local lodge members formed a large parade with a color guard and a band playing a dirge, and they marched from downtown Akron along South Main Street to Officer Main's home on Russell Avenue. The Akron Beacon Journal reported that when the procession marched past the city jail, Maine's killer, Burt Walker, walked to the window of his cell and watched with no obvious emotion. Now, at Maine's home, they collected his flag-draped casket, carried it between hundreds of citizens that were lining the curb, and then a procession of cars continued to Rose Hill Burial Park in the Akron suburb of Fairlawn. The other Ohio officer killed in our story tonight was Bowling Green Patrolman Ralph Kastner, who died of injuries that were sustained in that shootout with Floyd and his buddy Killer Miller in 1931. Now, initially, after he was shot, physicians thought Kastner might recover from those two bullets. He was sitting up in bed, cracking jokes. He even displayed some surprising charity when he asked that some of the numerous flower bouquets that had been sent to his hospital room be taken to the room of Beulah Baird, the girlfriend of pretty boy Floyd who had been wounded in that battle. But a week after the gunfight, Officer Kastner suddenly took a turn for the worse and died. Kastner was 29 years old, a native of Bowling Green and a graduate of Bowling Green College, where he was a standout football player and even went on to play some semi-pro ball. He was married to a Fremont girl, Helen Bauer, and had been a police officer for less than two years. Since both Floyd and Miller were firing at the two lawmen who had come to question them, it was never clear whose bullets hit Kastner, not that it matters. Kastner is the only police officer in Bowling Green's history that has been killed in the line of duty. He was buried in the city's Oak Grove Cemetery. We 
That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news, clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. And that brings us to tonight's featured Ohio musical artist. Shiloh Hawkins is a native from Youngstown, but her career as a singer, songwriter, and guitarist has taken her as far away as Austin before bringing her back home to Ohio, where she settled in Columbus. She said she draws inspiration from the 1960s and 70s, specifically Americana, folk, jazz, and country. Tonight's featured track and its soft, haunting melody is actually released under the name Ukraine, which is Shiloh's ukulele project. Well, let's have another listen to Father's Lament by Ukraine, and we'll see you here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries. What's a lie? Will the-
My name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world, from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.